let me start by uh, saying a few things. First, uh, as the topic implies, the Middle East Asia energy relations are very, very close. In fact, in the oil business, Middle East and Asia are the same market. Uh, 80-90% of the exports from the Middle East go to Asia. Uh, the, in terms of the relationships uh, uh, between the Middle East oil exporters, Asia is by far the number one and most important. So whenever we talk in our business uh, about the Asian market, we, use, we talk about East of Suez and include Middle East and Asia into one market as they are uh, pretty much parallel. Now, uh, the GCC uh, was created many years ago as a way of creating a, a sort of a, a, a small scale common market between the Arab countries of the Gulf as a way of uh, counterbalancing the influence from Iran uh, and at that time Iraq, which was uh, under Saddam Hussein. Uh, today, GCC is not the same as it was after the uh, sanctions put on, on Qatar by uh, a number of the GCC members, by Saudi Arabia, by UAE, and by Bahrain. Um, and uh, also because some of the GCC countries like Oman have a special relationship with Iran. Kuwait is somehow in between, friendly to everybody. So that cohesiveness doesn't exist anymore. So uh, it is uh, not what it was supposed to be. But nevertheless, in terms of the trade and relationship with Asia, everything is as close because GCC was never actually a, a, a common market block. It never was created uh, to do that. And so it doesn't really make that much difference, but. GCC is now a shadow of its former self because of the uh, severe disagreements between members of the, uh, of the, of the uh, GCC. Now, I want to start first by talking a little bit about the oil, oil market uh, on a general basis. Uh, as um, Dr. Doshi said, the demand is the story of the oil market is all about demand. Uh, supply is less important because supply is in the hands of men. People can go up and down, but uh, uh, demand is in the hand of the virus. How it goes up and down, we have no influence on it. Now, some of you uh, may remember that in uh, early March, there was a OPEC plus meeting and uh, there was a fight between the Saudis and the Russians. Uh, what was the reason for the fight? Uh, one reason was that the Saudis wanted the Russians to cut back half a million barrels per day and the Russians did not want to do it. But another important sticking point was a price target. The Saudis were interested in a price target of about $70 a barrel and the Russians were insisting on $45 a barrel. So why would the Russians ask for a lower price? The Russians argued very eloquently, in my view, that uh, basically uh, $70 is too high. We create too much competition for ourselves. What we need to do is uh, do something that we can remain on a sustainable basis dominant in the market. So uh, the, there was a fight broke, uh, uh, broke up and uh, the Saudis went in a price war. The price war which started not knowing how important 
the pandemic was. Uh, by the time the price war started and the prices started collapsing, we realized that the uh, story is not uh, Russia and uh, Saudi Arabia. The story is uh, COVID-19 and what it would do. In the month of uh, April, we lost a quarter of the global demand. Uh, in the month of May, 20 million barrels per day. June now, maybe 13 million barrels per day has been lost from, say, 100 million barrels per day global demand. So pretty large numbers. Uh, however, things are changing. Uh, people are beginning to come back to, uh, to work in many countries. The uh, restrictions have eased. Oil demand is coming back slowly. Uh, in China, gasoline demand is only 10% less than it was pre-COVID. Uh, although with the new um, second wave in, in, in Beijing, there are uh, additional restrictions put in place. But basically for this whole year, we're likely to lose about 9 million barrels per day. For next year, we expect to gain 7 million barrels per day. So as we go forward, uh, by late 2022, we'll be back at 2019 levels. That is assuming that we get a vaccine by the early 2021 and we can distribute it until end of uh, 2021. Under those conditions, uh, we, uh, we think that the demand can come back. Now, the price of oil today is uh, $40 a barrel or $42 a barrel. Uh, we think the price is a bit too high. There is a, uh, too much enthusiasm among the financial players the price can fall back, and I will show you why, uh, five, six dollars, and then slowly go up. By the end of the year, the Brent should be around 45 to 50 dollars a barrel. Okay, while this is being fixed, uh, let me uh, talk to you very quickly about uh, uh, the structure. So currently, the biggest demand loss in the energy market is about gasoline. I'm sorry, about jet fuel. Jet fuel is lost. Uh, substantially from 7 million barrels per day to only 1 million barrels per day. Then is gasoline, then is uh, diesel. But the fuels which move people are hurt. The fuels which don't move people, such as NAFTA or um, LPG, pretty much unchanged. The demand is about the same as it was before. So in this environment, uh, our expectation is that in the next two, three years, the prices will go up and down in the $50, $55 range. By end of uh, 22, 20, beginning of 23, we should be that back at the pre-COVID numbers of uh, uh, $55 to $65 a barrel. Now, please remember that after COVID is over, hopefully in 2022, 23, there is still a huge potential for demand growth for oil. So you may have read some uh, reports that say that the oil demand has already peaked in 2019 and that's it. This is all nonsense. This is not happening and it's not likely to happen. We are still expecting seven to eight million barrels per day oil demand growth between 2022 and 2030. So that demand growth is still substantial and is likely to come. Okay. So this is a picture of the world oil demand growth. So we will lose about one and a half million barrels per day compared to what we had pre-COVID. 
And what we lose from one and a half million barrels per day, one million barrels per day is jet fuel. And the jet fuel, because the planes are changing, the structure of the airline, aviation industry changing, many of the higher, uh, uh, the, 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 the planes with high usage of uh, jet fuel are gonna be retired and uh, to be replaced by a new fleet. And uh, so efficiency sets in and uh, but uh, for gasoline, diesel, everything is growing very much similar to pre-COVID period. So I'm not a believer that uh, COVID is changing the world and we're going to be uh, all of us forever working from home. We are in a new normal, of, of course, but the new normal, which we did, we did two, three years, will get back very similar to the way that the old normal was. Okay, so as we go forward here, the, the world will begin to change in the early 2030s when gasoline and demand, uh, gasoline and diesel demand will peak and begin to fall. So that world hasn't changed. That world is still coming with two or three years delay. But the big hit on the oil market is not going to happen until um, early 2030s. Okay, this is the OPEC plus compliance. And I wanted to show this to you to say that the OPEC is now doing more than it promised. OPEC and the whole 109% compliance. Uh, Non-OPEC, part of OPEC plus, 101%. Russia is 100%. Saudi Arabia is 123%. Iraq is 90%, but uh, they have promised that by the end of uh, uh, July, they would be back to their promised levels. So, Kazakhstan is 95%, Angola 93%, Algeria 71%, but pretty much everybody is going to comply. So, we are pretty sure that the OPEC compliance will be uh, serious and that the market will remain in balance. Now, I wanted to show you this is a very important chart. The inventories, the problem with the oil market today is that there's too much inventory in it. When the Saudis and the Russians flooded the market, they built the biggest inventory in the history of the oil industry. And the inventory has to be drawn down. And inventory last time which was built was in 2015-16 period. And it took slowly to drew down. This time is built up a lot, but we think that with the OPEC plus agreement, which is very serious number of cuts, uh, the inventories will be drawn down, start to be drawn down by the end of July, early August. But when do we get to a balance in the market? Probably not before end of 2022. So anytime that OPEC and the OPEC plus led by the GCC countries, anytime that they decide that they don't wanna continue this, the oil prices will collapse. So it's like a baby, you have to hold it for two years so that the market comes to a balance to make up for the problems that you created yourself. That is the bottom line of it. And so this will take a bit of time, but market will become imbalanced. That's why 40, 45, 50 is doable. But people who think the prices will jump up, they are mistaken because this inventory is still hanging over the market. The demand loss 
itself added to inventory and the overproduction added to inventory. So to clear it, there is no scenario we can see that we can do it before mid 2022 or late 2022. This is our view of the oil prices. So we have a reference case of 55 to 65% that is going to be there with us until um, the end of this decade. Uh, we think that's a natural uh, range. If the prices go much above 65, then there'll be too much oil coming. If the prices go below $50, then there will be not enough money for upstream investments and there will be shortages. So this 55 to 65 is a scenario. We have a 5% scenario of the prices reaching $100. Uh, very limited um, possibility of that. Revolution in Saudi Arabia, the President Biden comes in there and bans fracking in the US. Very unlikely developments. But we have a 35% scenario that the prices could be $25 to $40 a barrel. And this is very important news for GCC because lower oil prices makes life very, very difficult for many of the GCC countries. Uh, reason for that $25 to $40 is that when gasoline and diesel demand peak in the 2030s, oil production and it doesn't peak. So there will be supplies coming in and the demand will die. I think that is the, or the demand growth will die. So that is the reason for the, uh, that scenario. Now in GCC, uh, often we hear that this country needs so much budget to balance the budget. So much uh, discussions, Saudis need $80, the Kuwaitis need $70. Um, so these are two charts. One is a external and one is fiscal. And the definition is fiscal break-even, oil prices required to balance the country's budget. External break-even, oil prices required to clear the country's current account balance. Now, are these numbers actually telling us that everybody is in such a big trouble in GCC? The answer is no. In the Middle East, the more money you have, the more money you spend. If you have less money, you spend less. Uh, there is a point that it hurts. I think anything below $50 a barrel hurts. And you have to go into your reserves and we can see from Saudi Arabia and uh, Abu Dhabi, various countries that as the funds have money, oil money has uh, become uh, less and less, they have had to dig into their uh, sovereign funds and external reserves. But um, I think to say, for example, that the UAE needs $70 and the uh, Saudis need $80 a barrel oil, it's um, a wrong way to look at it. Uh, that if you have a lot of money, you spend a lot. But if you have less, there are so many ways you can cut. And history has shown us that whenever the oil prices are low, a lot of these countries end up becoming much more efficient and they make better decisions. So these numbers that you see often in the press, a lot of the statements from the banks shows that, oh my God, you know, Saudi Arabia now is in fiscal crisis. It's not true. They are able to cut, uh, cut the expenditures substantially and reduce the subsidies, which is actually the right way to do things. So actually it ends up probably making the economies stronger than it was at the beginning. Uh, GCC oil demand has been um, also very interesting because the oil demand 
has um, used to grow very much, very fast. It was the fastest growing market, even faster than Asia. And now suddenly it's not growing very fast anymore. And the reason is very simple, is that they remove the subsidies. Again, lower oil prices makes you a lot wiser than you were before. So the growth rates have become much slower. And as a result of which, the refineries that they had and they were supplying the domestic market now has the volume to export rather than the domestic market. I want to say a little bit about um, refining in, in the GCC because GCC, all their exports come into Asia. So whatever happens in the, in the, in the, in the GCC countries directly affects the Asian market. Uh, lots of refineries were built in constructions started in the post-2010 period. Uh, these refineries now, some of them are uh, slowly coming on stream in 2021 and 22, after a decade of delay. Uh, but uh, who builds the refineries in GCC? The big boys is the Saudis, is Kuwait, and is UAE, the people who have a lot of money and they have big markets and they have a big crude exports. They would like to see some of their exports now in terms of the refined products. And the target market is the Asian market. Uh, are they gonna do the same thing nowadays? The answer is no. Those ambitions have been significantly curtailed. One is that, of course, they have less money. You build on a build the refinery today is $20 billion. You want to build a refinery and petrochemical plant, it's $40 billion. So it's very interesting that Aramco uh, IPO with only about 1% of it now in the stock market has changed the behavior of Aramco. Aramco now is a public company, has to be careful about what it spends. And it cannot just go and do 20, $30 billion projects like before. Very cha big change in behavior in the system. But basically, the big plans of building refineries in GCC is coming to a halt, in line with the global oil demand growth stopping. So the, the question is that if the global oil demand is not going to grow, where will the revenues come? The global oil demand will go up to 110, 115 million barrels per day, and then slowly decline by 1 million a year. So for years and years and years, they still can make plenty of money. Uh, however, the prices are not going to be in the $70, $80 range the way they enjoyed it. It's going to be more in the $45, $55, $55, dollars range. So they have to cut their expenditures and be a lot more uh, savvy in how they spend money. Say something about gas in, in, in uh, GCC countries. The GCC LNG exports, also all of them going to Asia. Uh, Qatar sends some volume to Europe because the Asians don't buy it. Uh, anything which is not committed in Asia ends up in Europe. Uh, but um, for Oman, uh, for Abu Dhabi, majority is coming to the Asian market. And destination, as you see, is really Asia, the blue on your left, is where all of the volumes go. So Asia is, again, on the gas side, is number one market also for the GCC countries. 
in terms of sale prices for gas, you can see that uh, the in terms of the, what the prices they've received, uh, the those who have uh, oil index contracts, the price have come down. Those who have to sell on the spot market, the price has come down. So the big source of revenue from the gas side also has been very significantly impacted by the lower oil prices. 75% of the global LNG prices are indexed to oil today. Is this the right way to do it or not? Uh, you can question that, but the, these contracts, many of them go until 2039, uh, the latest, some of them easily to the early 2030. So they are stuck with the oil prices, but lower oil prices have done great deal of damage to the revenues which come from the LNG side. Uh, this one gives you a view about the, the fiscal balance and the, again, many of the projects have been impacted by the pandemic and the lower oil prices. The Saudis uh, have pushed on the Jafura shale gas project. There's lots of shale in Saudi Arabia. It's very expensive. Uh, only cheap shale in the world is in the US at the moment and Argentina. Everywhere else is very expensive. But um, uh, Saudis still want to do it. They want to uh, becoming a large uh, LNG player. They want to stop the shortages of um, uh, gas in their own country. And as you know, Saudi Arabia burns uh, several hundred thousand barrels per day of fuel oil because it doesn't have enough gas. Uh, this, the Saudis may uh, be able to do it, but not tomorrow. It is going to take a long time. Uh, the Saudis plan for um, Port Arthur LNG is now delayed. Uh, they may not become a big LNG player as they had hoped. Again, being a member of the global stock market uh, makes a big difference in their behavior. Same in, in, in Abu Dhabi, Adnok cost cutting has delayed some of UAE's gas projects, particularly sour gas projects. And um, development of deep gas and tight gas in, in Oman, Bahrain, all, all have been delayed. So the lower oil prices have also significantly impacted the development of the uh, GCC's gas projects. Now, the biggest story in the Middle East is what happens in, 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 in Qatar in terms of the LNG supply demand. They have a huge amount of gas. They have 77 million tons of LNG already operating the number one player in the world, of which 57 million tons are on the contract to Asia, 20 million tons of it goes to Europe, sold in the spot market. The Qataris now, uh, since the sanctions by the fellow GCC members, they have changed policy. Before the sanctions, they had no policy about expanding their uh, LNG business, but now they see the expansion of LNG business as a way of political survival. So it's a matter of politics, not economics, but uh, they have a lot of gas and they want to be dominant. So they plan to build four more trains of uh, almost 8 million tons each, uh, which we expect them to be uh, sanctioning them by the end of this year, early next year, as nobody else has any money to go forward, the guitarists go forward and scare everybody else about uh, their own investments. And then maybe two more trains um, would be sanctioned a year or two later. So it puts the Qataris in a dominant global position. Nobody can come close to them. 
in terms of the player of the LNG markets. And again, all of these uh, actions are being taken with their own money and without partners. They will bring in partners later on and they will refinance later on. But for now, uh, they are not going to wait for uh, partners, ExxonMobil, Shell, ConocoPhillips, and Total, which is their old partners. They're going to go forward themselves. So their move is a very bold move, but it firmly places the guitarist as a global player uh, for the next 20 years. Now, some of the GCC countries also import LNG. Uh, Bahrain has built an LNG facility, uh, is not importing right away, but we'll do it in the future. Facilities are in place. Kuwait has been a pretty large importer of uh, LNG KPCS long-term contract with Shell, with Sui and others. Imports five and a half to six and a half million tons of LNG over the next 15 years. In UAE, Dubai is an LNG importer, while uh, Abu Dhabi is an LNG exporter. Uh, but we think that the new discoveries of gas and better management of demand means that probably no need for LNG import much uh, beyond the next few years. And uh, UAE's LNG exports from Abu Dhabi will be flat, not likely to increase very much. Uh, 